All right, today we want to welcome Gareth Soloway. Gareth is the Chief Marketing Strategy uh, Strategist of In The Money Stocks. He's been a veteran of the investing and trading game since the early 90s. So Gareth has been through the boom and bust cycles before that we all went through back in uh, 2008 and 9 uh, when we saw the biggest market sell-off in, in the history of the stock market. And uh, Garrett, thanks for being here today. I'm looking forward to your uh, analysis and perspective on what's going on right now. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. It's great to be here. Cool, cool. So it's a crazy time right now, and I know there's a lot going on. And what I'm trying to do is bring a you know rational discussion to the marketplace and what's happening with Bitcoin in the crypto markets right now. And you know, there's a lot of people out there with different you know opinions and views and showing charts and technical analysis and. Uh, it seems to me that, you know, some people might be missing some key indicators in these charts lately and, and with what's going on in the Bitcoin market. So um, how about you take it, uh, take us through it and, you know, I'll kind of ask some questions as we go along and help bring some perspective to this game. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look at the current Bitcoin chart. And, and here it is. Um, you can see that the chart has had that big fall off where we were trading around 50 to 60,000. And then we had this big collapse down to 30,000. And to me, that was a target that I called uh, based purely on the technical formation of a head and shoulders pattern. So, you know, you could basically see a shoulder here. Here's your head and here's your shoulder. And for those of us that know what, what the neckline is, you connect the lowest point kind of the armpit, if you will, armpit to armpit. And that creates the neckline of the head and shoulders. And when that breaks, that's when the debt, the selling pressure accelerates to the downside. And you can see right here, as soon as we got below, we went straight to the 30,000 marker. Um, you can actually calculate that 30,000 level very accurately by taking this high pivot and drawing a straight line down to this line and then that distance is actually how you calculate the downside target on a head and shoulder pattern. You take that same distance from the, from the break point here and you drop it down and you'll get almost to the penny, that $30,000 low. What's interesting about that as well is if I throw up my moving averages, uh, you can see that also happened to be the 200 moving average, which obviously we know is a lot of technical support. Now, one of the things that I'm kind of watching here is I expect Bitcoin to bounce. Um, if we think about it in terms of, of trading, and, and we'll jump back here, but psychology is 90% of why the market does what it does, right? You know, people have come to me a million times over and said, well, this company beat earnings by a mile. Why did they sell off? Well, sometimes a stock runs up into an earnings announcement and prices in an even better report than they give, even if that report beats analyst expectations. And that's what you have in this situation of, of Bitcoin is you have this buy the dip mentality where, you know, every sell off has been a buying opportunity. There's so much new money in Bitcoin that it hasn't had a chance to flush out and kind of make those new hands regret buying, right? Everything's a dip to be bought. We see that in the stock market as well. And so you'll see that buy the dip in this range where people are going to come in as it goes up to 40,000, 43, 44, 45,000, you'll likely see people jumping on the bandwagon again. And that's where you'll get to maybe 48 to 50,000. And I think you're going to have another dump off in price. And that price target for me is down to 20,000. And the 20,000 is just not an arbitrary number. It's where the previous high was in 2017. That's kind of where my bogey level is for where I'll be accumulating significantly. So everything I do here is technical based. I always look for these chart patterns. I analyze the psychology of the market, which plays out in the charts. And that really gives me a good basis to make 
generally accurate calls. No one's 100%, but again, I try to be as accurate as I can be. Yeah, yeah. The, the world of cryptocurrencies are the wild, wild west, and we are in uncharted ter territory, pun intended. But, you know, the charts are interesting. So go back to your um, head and shoulders. So mm -hmm. I think where a lot of people miss is a lot of people think head and shoulders uh, is only at the top um, of markets, whereas head and shoulders can work all along the way at any cycle, correct? Yeah, they can work at any cycle. What I gen my general rule is it needs to be at a recent high. So like if we made a high, let's say five years ago or two years ago, or even a year ago, and then we're making a near term high here, then that is that can be a valid head and shoulders. But I generally don't put a lot of stock in a head and shoulders that forms at the lows of a chart, mainly because it has a higher failure rate. So as a trader, you have to say to yourself, okay, when I'm going to take a trade here, what are my risk factors versus my reward factors? And being at the low of the chart, you know, it's potentially more oversold that's raising the risk of going short in that situation and expecting more downside. So, so in general, the highest point in recent history is important. It doesn't have to be an all-time high by any stretch. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the parabolic move and the sharp decline from there in terms of trying to call a top in the market. And, you know, some people don't think we've got that in this current Bitcoin cycle. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. So, so to me, um, Bitcoin is going to head a lot higher, right? So, so this is a corrective move where the, the weak hands essentially have to be flushed out. I want to see Bitcoin bottom out where everyone hates it, right? So, so not everyone hates it, but you're going to have a majority of those same weak hands say when you get down to 20,000, oh my goodness, I bought in at 50 or 60 or 65,000. This is catastrophic. You know, Bitcoin's never going to be a long-term thing. I'm going to sell my Bitcoin and just call it quits. And as soon as I see that, and essentially it's the term blood on the streets, and I expect it to be kind of in that 20,000 range here. Um, you can see there's the there's little gap fill there as well on the chart. That's where I start getting bullish. So again, if you look at the top on this chart, it was kind of clear that something was negative, something negative was happening because not only did you have the head and shoulders, but look at how you had a high, higher, high, higher, high, higher, high, and then all of a sudden, and, and again, you had a low, higher, low, higher, low. And then look at how that flipped over here. Now you had a lower low and lower high. So that's telling us distribution was going on as well. Anytime a chart switches from making higher highs and higher lows to lower highs and lower lows, it's telling you that something is topping out. And we had that in the formation of the head and shoulders before the big dip down to about 30,000 here. Yeah. And to be clear, and you know, you talk a lot about the psychology of the market and whether it's institutional investors or it's retail investors, it's all people pushing the buttons. Now there's algorithms and, you know, trading bots and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's a human inputting that information into the algorithms. So psychology comes into play. And I think what's going on here, when you start talking about bull markets, bear markets and cycles, it's a lot of people are driven by fear. So there's a lot of people that reject any information that says, hey, we're going to we're going to go below 30,000 and we're going to have a bear market. They just reject it and they get angry because it scares them. And then you have people, you know, the opposite where you talk about, you know, these hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar targets. And people get really upset there because, again, it's a it's a fear based threshold because they sold and they got out and they don't want to miss it. Right. So. It's really, really interesting. So let's let's look at what your projections are. Let's go bear first because everybody hates the whole bear story, right? So what could happen if we are in a bear potential? And again, what you just pointed out, 
doesn't necessarily mean we're in a bull, you know, that it's the end of the bull market and beginning of a bear market. It means that we could be in a cycle, like you said, where there's a lot more upside that we have to go through this little period to get there. So this right. could just be a hiccup or it could be the, the start of a bigger down, downward trend. So let's look at both of those cases and let's, let's look at the downward trend first and then go from there. Yeah, so so certainly, you know, I'm expecting a near-term bounce here, maybe as high as about forty-eight thousand, maybe fifty thousand. You can see the twenty moving average here on the Bitcoin chart is kind of right around that fifty thousand marker there, and then this neckline would be kind of a classic retrace to what we call the scene of the crime, where the breakdown occurred. Um, ultimately, again, as I said, I do expect it to go lower to a potential price target of twenty thousand. Uh, once there, though, I think you start the new bull phase now. Chances are, just like after 2017, it's going to take some time. And again, to be clear, like you mentioned, I'm very long-term bullish on crypto. I love cryptocurrency. Um, I think there's an absolute place for it in our society, in the world, in terms of getting away from fiat currencies, or at least um, protecting yourself from the printing of money that's going on. So I do think that it's ne it needs to be something that everyone holds in their portfolio. You just have to go through these periods, right? If you look at, at Bitcoin and a lot of people, and there's so many new investors in Bitcoin that they don't, they don't have the historic view of even just 10 years ago with Bitcoin, but Bitcoin was regularly going up crazy amounts and then correcting 50 to 75%. And then it would go up another crazy amount and correct again. And we saw that in 2017 when it went to 19 to 20,000, and then it went as low as 3,500. 3, so just keep that in mind. You know, drops in Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency, assuming it's a firm and a good quality cryptocurrency, they can really be just great buying opportunities. And if you're a long term investor, don't worry about it as much. You know, use it to buy more, average down. Um, if you're shorter term, just trade it. You know, this is going to be a great opportunity to be a longer term investor, but let it flush out the weak hands. You know, it really is going to separate the, the, the adults from the kids about who really believes in it and who bought cryptocurrency to basically say, oh, I want to jump on the hot bandwagon. Right. So, I mean, think about people that bought in the 50, 60,000 range. They're not buying because, wait a minute, I realize that the government is printing money and this, and they're buying it because they're chasing the hot trade. Their, their buddy, their mailman was telling them, oh, I got into Dogecoin and it's running up and I'm making three, four, 500% in a couple months. That's why they're buying it. Those people are the ones that when I say they need to be washed out, they have to be washed out where the hardcore believers of, of the diversification away from dollars, that's where that'll come in. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your point, you know, in emphasizing that this isn't going to happen overnight. And I think that's where a lot of people are, you know, have that false hope or that false sense of reality in the markets is because things do move so fast in cryptocurrency and especially Bitcoin. You know, they think, man, we're going to we're just going to snap back now that we've crossed this little level and we've bounced off that low. Uh, you know, everybody feels like, well, not everybody, but a lot of people feel like there's been a bottom put in and then it's just off to the moon from here. And, you know, like you said, we could run sideways here for a little while. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Wyckoff model. And when you look at the Wyckoff distribution playing out, whether, whether that's what's going on here or not, you know, it's interesting if you, where does that start? So if you go back and look at where did the distribution begin at what level, I kind of pegged that at 10,000. Um, yeah. Do you have anything on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's definitely been sellers. I mean, I still remember in, in early, you know, 2020 and even in late 2019, you know, where I was starting to talk up Bitcoin and basically I saw the writing on the wall with the printing of currencies and, and, and where Bitcoin could take us. And you saw, 
you know, lots of people at that point claiming that, oh, Bitcoin will never be anything. Um, I One of my greatest indicators here, and this is kind of, and I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek as well, but it's partially correct, is that I still remember when Bitcoin was hot in 2017 and into 18, it was still pretty hot and CNBC would show it at their bottom of their screen. And then once it got down below 10,000, they really stopped talking about it and they didn't show it. And in my opinion, now they show it, like literally you turn on CNBC and every five minutes they're showing Bitcoin's price. Watch to see when Bitcoin gets to a level where they don't talk about it. And I'll almost guarantee it's probably at a level where you want to start accumulating. But going back to your 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 thought process on the, the distribution, I do think that there's a lot of a lot of money that was stuck in it from 2017 that as Bitcoin has moved up, they've been unloading. You know, they were stuck in that trade for a long period of time. So I do think there was some distribution, but certainly the institutional side has come in here more fervently now and they're buying Bitcoin up. Um, I think this is another point I'll just make real quick. I do believe that what Elon Musk said about the energy usage and, and the fossil fuels, that put a little bit of a halt on the adoption by institutions because in this day and age in the United States, companies are very socially aware of what they're doing. And as soon as you start bringing in bad for the environment, they're gonna hold back on buying that position for their balance sheet. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen this dip um, and why it could keep Bitcoin under pressure because you're not gonna have as many institutions picking it up. Now, having said that, I think Bitcoin could actually be a reason why the world starts pushing towards renewables more and more. You're going to hear about more and more mining companies going to renewables so that they can be green, but also mine. And I think it could be a great thing long term. And ultimately, it doesn't concern me long term for Bitcoin uh, because I do think renewables will take over. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that institutional talent has been in the space for a long time, going back to, you know, like you said, the 2016, 2017 you know, time frame and going through those cycles, but the institutions uh, as an investor haven't been in there very long. And the other thing to to clear up in that space is there's a lot of talk about institutions getting into the game and they see JP Morgan putting a desk together. They see Goldman Sachs putting a, get, a desk together. So that's not those firms buying Bitcoin. So that is those firms putting desks in place to trade it on behalf of their clients. And most of the clientele that they're trading, uh, it's ultra high net worth individuals, high net worth individuals. And they're, they're putting in a small balance of what their overall portfolio allocation is. There might be some, you know, one or two life insurance companies that have, you know, dipped their toe in. But the broad institutional adoption where a BlackRock or a Bitcoin or a uh, Goldman or a JP actually puts their own cash in, we're still a good little ways away from that yet, right? Yeah, absolutely we are. And, and again, I think it'll be delayed a little bit now with more companies. I mean, we saw a stretch there where MicroStrategy and Tesla and there were other companies that were putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And now it's kind of stalled out. You haven't heard about any new companies. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing more weakness. You're not seeing that institutional buying pressure from these big companies, which are literally billion dollar positions. Um, and when you take that away from the market, it definitely causes a little bit of a void there. One thing to note here that's fascinating to me as well is that you know we've, we've heard a lot about China kind of clamping down on mining and Bitcoin ownership and that kind of thing and cryptocurrencies as a whole. And I want people to make sure they understand that it, China has nothing against cryptocurrencies specifically. It's not like they hate Bitcoin or they see it, oh my goodness. It's all about the digital yuan. So yuan, China's goal here is to make the yuan, the digital yuan, a, a 
basically reserve currency for the globe. And, and Bitcoin poses a threat in that respect. So what they're trying to do is destabilize cryptocurrencies so that their digital yuan can eventually displace the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency. Right. You know, and that's a, that's an interesting whole nother discussion in general, because now you have the United States coming out, getting into the CBD business, right? The CBDC <laughs> business yep. uh, with their own digital currency. So it's going to be interesting to see the position. And they've already they've already raised the flag. Hey, we see this as an asset, a store of wealth, not as a currency. Um, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, you know, on a macro scale with, um, you know, with governments and countries in terms of that discussion right there and how that ultimately affects the space. But, um, you know, the other thing coming down the pike too is regulation. I mean, at some point, SEC, everybody's going to step in and, and, you know, the crypto markets are going to become regulated. You would have to think. Yeah. And the question, the question on that will be is, does it cause a near-term hit because of the regulation? But I think ultimately it might be a positive longer term. I mean, if I view Bitcoin as more a digital type gold, a store of, of value uh, more than a currency, you know, I don't, I don't foresee myself, at least for now, it's not like I'm buying things left and right with Bitcoin, you know, going into a store and just swiping my phone and, you know, paying with things for Bitcoin. To me, it's a store of value to, for my purpose of diversifying away from inflationary things. Yeah. And that can be done through the credit cards, but it's Bitcoin being converted to cash for the transaction. So it, it, right. it can be done and it is being done. But the real interesting thing that I like to think about and where I think it's a positive, I think regulation is a positive thing because then you will get broad institutional adoption once they know that there are some rules to the game and that they can't be wiped out within 30 seconds of going in. So um, I think that's going to be an ultimate positive you know, for the market. So so let's talk about that scenario. So Kathy Wood is out there with a $500,000 target on Bitcoin. Um, now, again, she's a long-term investor. So a lot of people see that and they think, man, that's this summer because everybody's calling for a June, July, you know, uh, snapback in Bitcoin. So understand Kathy is a long-term investor and she's talking up her book, right? She's got a lot of money that she's putting behind this projection. But um, if there is broad institutional adoption over the next three, five, seven years, if there is regulation coming into the space, how uh, likely is that scenario? And then can you show us how we get there? Yeah, so, so that scenario I do believe is, is in the cards. Again, the question is timing, right? So, so at how long until we see that? So in the very least, um, I think that you have to start thinking that the same period of time from the 2017 high to the, the breakout we saw last year. So you're talking about you know two and a half years from that period. That's likely in the range of what we're talking about here. Um, I think part of that is also gonna be an ETF or ETFs that are gonna get approved. I wonder if this recent fall will make the SEC kind of stay back on approving an ETF because it was so volatile. But, but absolutely, I think that if you look at the move up, right? So if you, if you do a measured move of percentages from the, the 2017 high to 19,000, and then you went up to the next high, which was 65,000, you know, you're talking about, about a, what, a four, four plus, five, five plus move, five times move there. And that would be my next expectation of the move up on Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin takes out the 65,000 level, let's say in two years or so, I do think you do you put a five multiple on it and get to about a, a 
300,000 target, maybe 350,000 target on Bitcoin. So again, you know, just to be clear, even though, you know, a lot of people will hear me saying, oh, it's going to go to 20,000. Oh, Gareth's such a bear. He hates Bitcoin and everything like that. But in reality, I love it. It's just you have to let this digestion period come and then the next wave will come in. And, and again, just think about the adoption that's occurring. You're in the infancy of adoption. Uh, you're in the infancy of institutional involvement, um, you still have the whole world left to go. And we still haven't even scratched the surface on the U.S. big businesses getting involved. So there's there's a lot. I mean, think about 21 million coins is all there's going to be. And, and if you factor in what's been already lost, it's probably about 19 million or so. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been a rapid, rapid run up to that 65. And then going back to you know what I was pointing to was that September um, uh, of, was it September 20 or 19 when, when Bitcoin hit 10,000 before this run-up? So if you trace, if you're looking at a Wyckoff distribution, you can trace it all the way back to the 10,000 level, which I think, would that be September of 20? Um, yeah, I think it was back around that time frame. I think we've been on the bull run since then to the 65,000 level. So, uh, you know, there could potentially be a pullback to that level, but I think there's more and more um, talk around the blockchain about that 20,000 level being your base price. You've got to put a floor in. And that's what a lot of people are discounting. They're thinking we put the floor in at 30,000 and we're off to the races. We haven't come back to there. You have to test it and you have to break it before that floor has been established, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, right now the pivot support is absolutely 30,000, which was the low from the other day. Um, at some point, if we do break that, it, it does open that door to that 20,000 marker. Um, and then don't be surprised, even though I think generally 20,000 will kind of be a right around the support level and the low, don't be surprised if the market pushes it a little bit below. So it could go to 18 to 16, somewhere in that vicinity, because the market always wants to kind of make you think that you're wrong. So, so piercing levels is something that in trading, I, I see every single day. I utilize that to my benefit by putting orders below major even numbers and, by, and below supports. And, and again, just don't let it kind of shake your confidence. One of the techniques I use is that it's a very simple technique, but when I start buying, I never say, okay, I'm going all in here. I'm not going to just take, you know, my 150K or 500K and just throw it all in at this price. What I do is I set, set up staggered entry prices. So even for me, I'll start buying a little bit above 20,000 because what if it doesn't get there? At least I'm involved. There'll be small positions, but I'm involved. Then I'll put an order a little bit below 20,000. Then another one, maybe at 19, at 18, at 17 and so forth and accumulate in that manner. And ultimately, if you have a long-term horizon for, you know, 65,000 again, or 300 or 500,000, that little bit of difference in terms of your entry price isn't going to make that much of a difference, but it'll help your average overall. And so I would recommend doing that type of, of, of accumulation. Yeah, I like that. And what I like to visualize in that regard is you're negotiating with the markets, right? You're trying to see where, where is it going to go? Where do you have those buyers? And uh, when you think of it that way, you're just negotiating with the market. You're trying to establish that base. So then you can move backward, you know, back towards the top. And it's going to be the same thing up there. You're going to have that same kind of incremental rise at the top. It's not going to go just straight to the moon. Or if it does, it might touch, pull back. Then you got to negotiate your way back up. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like you could see in the chart, it was making higher highs. The higher highs were just a little higher, a little higher. And then eventually it rolled over. Same thing with the lows. It might make a low there, bounce, and then test a little bit lower. And then you'll probably start looking for the same thing in the reverse, maybe an inverse head and shoulders or higher, higher highs and higher lows starting off of that base point to give you that next big leg up. Yeah. And, you know, so 
to summarize, I think where we can say that we're at for, for everybody out there watching, there, there are a lot of people that are worried, that are fearful. Uh, we're in the process of Bitcoin establishing real credibility as an asset. As a, as a class, as a store of wealth, we're talking Bitcoin. Now, the cryptocurrency markets in general, you know, it's a venture capital space um, where that's a different conversation and there's, you know, plays there. But, but Bitcoin as an asset is now establishing itself. So it has to go through the credibility phase. Absolutely. 100%. And, and again, you know, as, as a Bitcoin investor, if you're in or if you're thinking about getting in, make sure you have a thesis behind it. Um, you know, I think, I think again, these bubbles are created by people that are just chasing with no reason other than, hey, listen, everyone else is making money. I'm just going to throw some money in there and make some money too. You know, think about why you're doing it. And this is one of the reasons why, even though Dogecoin has been amazing, it, it's hard for me to justify myself investing long-term in a Dogecoin because it's, there's another 10,000 Dogecoins printed every minute versus, I mean, that's to me just like the Federal Reserve is doing with, with printing of money. I like the cryptocurrencies that, that have a stated run or, or the mining gets harder and harder. There's got to be some reason why you want to invest in those to offset another factor. Yeah, exactly. Well, Gareth, I appreciate you taking some time out today. I know you're busy and uh, sharing your wisdom and your experience and bringing some calm to the markets, man. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. It was really a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Have a great day. You too.